Just a little heads up to let you know that this episode contains some swearing. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 33 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where we'll be taking a close look at a film chosen by our guest host. Each season we will pick a particular theme, and this season it's cop thrillers. Today we are joined by Jasmine Lindman, who has decided that on this episode we'll be taking a look at Knives Out. So Jasmine, thank you very much for joining us on this lovely Saturday morning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Very happy. (laughs) A long time listener, first time caller. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) very happy to be here. I um, I am a many... I've never, I've never had to say this. Many, many things. I do many, many things. Mm-hmm. I work in the arts as a freelancer. I work in festivals, film festivals, uh, Glasgow mm-hmm. Film Festival, Glasgow Short Film Festival, which is where I met Gary. Um, I <laughs> make. Uh, I'm some so short sorry films. to hear that, Jess. I know. It's been years <laughs> now. Um, so <laughs> uh, I make some short films as well, uh, not for some time, just because of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, I've started a podcast as well. Called Letters to Miss Piggy, which also has a very film element, which is all about uh, uh, the icon, the one and only Miss Piggy, uh, mm-hmm. through the ages of the Muppets and just kind of what she does in the world as like a feminist icon, as a fat icon, um, as a fashion oh, yeah. icon. So that's been kind of my new pet project at the moment. But I, yeah, I'm around is basically the, the short answer that's to that question. Good. Jack of all trades. <laughs> Certainly that, yeah. <laughs> Master of some, I guess. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Perfect. And so today you've brought with you Knives Out. Uh, why did you pick this film? Um, partly because I was very confused by the genre. Um, hmm. So I had a moment where I was like, cop. Thriller, cop thriller. <laughs> Who is a cop? Um, is this a thriller? Um, and I definitely had a moment and messaging Gary lots of things, being like, "Is this a film? Is this one of the things?" Um, but part of that is me just not understanding how genres work, so that's really a, a me problem. Uh, as, soon as, I, <laughs> as soon as I figured out that Knives Out was an option, though, I was like, "Yes, my goodness, um, what a brilliant choice!" I've actually only watched it once before this, so mm. this was such a beautiful treat. It's fun watching, I guess, murder mysteries the second time because mm-hmm. you know all the things. But you still forget, like it's, been, it's still been a couple of years, I think, at least since I've seen it. So there's still like little details that you forget, but I loved, had such a fun time watching it. So thank you for that. It's such a, I don't know, as much as it's an homage to so many like the mm-hmm. Christie's, the Praro, the clues of it yeah. all, um, it's a really individual film as well. It's a really original film yeah. in a really lovely way, which isn't, feels quite rare of mm-hmm. modern films. Lovely. What did you think of it, Gary? Um, so I absolutely loved this film and I know you've not asked me to rate it yet, but I'm going to just rate it. And it's uh, definitely a 9 out of 10 for me. Ooh. The only reason that it drops one point is because a lot of the characters are really unlikable, but you only like them because of how big the cast is. Yeah. And I actually just wanted a wee bit more screen time from this ensemble cast, basically. Yes. But I'm the same as you. I've only watched it once before this, and I absolutely loved it. And I was excited to go back and watch it again. So when you actually said to me, would Knives Out work? Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't even know if it is a cop thriller, but I'm going <laughs> to say yes, because I'd like to review this film again. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good response. It's my first time watching it last night. Oh wow! Welcome. I know. Welcome to the welcome to the club. <laughs> um, but I also absolutely loved it. Um, I loved my my mum is a big fan of murder mystery, Poirot, Sherlock yeah. Holmes, all of these different shows. So it was really nice to watch a film that had a lot of nods to that. And in that though, I gave it a nine point two. Nine point two out of ten. What would you rate the film, Jasmine? 
I think I might give it a nine as well. I mean, it feels really high. I've not rated things other than I've rated Muppets films recently, but otherwise I've not rated films for a while. So, <laughs> um, but normally I'm, you know, rating her uh, Miss Piggy's performance, and with mm-hmm. normally out of oinks, it's a whole different thing. Um, so I'm gonna say, <laughs> oh, let's do that. Okay, we'll rate it out of oinks <laughs> out of, or out of knives. How many knives do you give it? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think still nine because it's. A, mm-hmm. I mean, it's got everything that you want from these kind of films it's intriguing it's the tension is huge um in moments you very stressed i'd seen it before and i was still very stressed <laughs> like i had full moments i was like oh no and, yeah. like, and even though i know like i know that i know the end result i was still having a full moment um mm-hmm. so i think that kind of <laughs> effect on you they has to give you all those extra points as well and the cast but i think you're right uh, Gary, with the ensemble aspect, because so many of those people I love, and it's mm-hmm. what I'll talk about it a bit later. But I, yeah, definitely wanted to see more of them because yeah. they're such amazing people. And you're like, but then I yeah. guess the film has to be three hours long, which I wouldn't hate. Gary would. <laughs> Is that your line, Gary? <laughs> Gary doesn't do. like a long film. <laughs> I do. I, I like a long film when I feel like the film deserves the amount of screen time that it's got. Yeah. For our listeners at home, here is a little synopsis. The circumstances surrounding the death of a crime novelist, Harlan Thornby, are mysterious, but there's one thing that renowned detective Benoit Blanc knows for sure. Everyone in the wildly dysfunctional Thornby family is a suspect. Now, Blanc must sift through a web of lies and red herrings to uncover the truth. So, let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live till I die. You think one of his family walls walls. killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Smug smile. Definitely eat shit. You know something. Spill it. I suspect. Foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> so, as you'll all know, we'll now go round one another and pick three positive points on the film. I'll go first this time, Gary, because I always make you go first. Look at your face. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Um, so, I'm going to go for my first point as the opening, really. Because I didn't really know what I was going to expect from the film because a lot of people have seen Knives Out. I hadn't seen it. And I guess like seeing the cast and everything and then the title said comedy. So when it first came up, it felt very like Hitchcock-esque. I don't know why. I think it was just with the music and the shot of the house. Like Gary and I spoke about Psycho on our bonus episode a few days ago. And it did give me quite a lot of vibes to that so I was like oh maybe it's not comedy but then I had also imagery of the film Cluedo if either of you ever seen that it kind of the trickery so like the music being quite chilling and intense like you spoke about that as well Jasmine how it was very quite stressful like what on earth has happened the colours and the shots of watching it's Fran isn't it who's the housekeeper mm-hmm. um like walking about the house and going up the stairs and discovering the body and stuff. And it just really kind of set it up. I just, I don't know, it was just very kind of capturing, like I can see it all still. But yeah, I really liked it because it totally threw my opinions on what I thought the film was going to be like. I mean, I've never, I've only seen it twice, but I never really seen it as psycho at all. But now you you have said that the house is very gothic and Mm. it's, almost up in up in a hill the same way the cycle house is as well and i love how it opens with the two dogs running from the house yes and you're like okay that's really tense as well these really large dogs running towards <laughs> i the was camera. also like what is that 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a horse or something. <laughs> but you do, you watch the dogs like running towards the camera and automatically your your mind is spinning. You're like, mm-hmm. are they chasing someone? Are they running away from something that's happened in the house? And then it cuts to it later and they're actually just playing. I think they're just running about the garden, but it just shows you what music can do to change the yeah. effect on one shot because it is only just one slow motion shot um but just on that as well what that opening scene does for me is it tells you it gives you the tone it tells you exactly where we're going to be set for most of this film and what a use of a location to be honest and beautiful darling right. and because a lot of like low budget filmmakers will try and keep their locations to a minimum to keep costs down but this has such high production value but it just shows you still what you can do if you keep most of it to one location as well mm-hmm. it's it's such a strong opening i think it really yeah it, it throws you in straight away if you're like what's this film again again it's that same thing if you if you had other perceptions mm-hmm. um or even if you were trying to do something else like i mean i was like about writing notes but even like i definitely forgot to look at my phone a lot to write notes because you're so it brings you straight in mm-hmm. um in such a powerful way and i think yeah the yeah, the music, but also the dogs and how important the dogs are as well. Yeah. yeah. It actually sets that up from the very beginning, which I thought is great mm-hmm. um, because you're already looking at them. You're, it's already like part of what you've seen, mm-hmm. um, which turns out to be super important. And that's lovely, like, which we'll see throughout the entire film, how smart it is with all of yeah. those kind yeah. of things. Um, but yeah, the house is outrageous inside mm-hmm. and out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just such a stunning place to set. And yeah, the kind of, it, I like that also it's just kind of in the middle of no, like very country. Like you don't even know really where it is. It's not until they start speaking an American accent that you even know it's America. Like yeah. it could be anywhere. Like that kind of castle could be anywhere. <laughs> and it looks kind of, yeah, yeah that manor house castle vibe. But I, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just going to say that was a really interesting point you just made there about how you've got um, like a preconception of where all these characters are from. Because they're all American, but at the same time, I'm like, something still feels a bit, like, it's not right, like, where we are. And then the minute I saw Daniel Craig, I was like, okay, well, there we go. And then he came out with this, like, deep southern American accent. And my mum turned to me and she went, oh, well, that's not Bond. You know, (laughs) it was just because I don't know the way he was sitting in the chair with the suit and stuff. And maybe that was something that was quite intentional, but it kind of did trick you into like, okay, he's going to be this English, blah, blah, blah. Maybe this is set in England somewhere or something and they've sent him. And I don't know, like. But that, yeah, right. That's probably deliberate because Mm -hmm. that could look like an English country manor. Yeah. And so you're sucked in with that and then you obviously find out they're not. And then this. English gentleman walks in as well but then he's got this like Kentucky accent as well and I think that's what's great about the film as well is as you said we realise all the characters are basically American well most of them but they're all got these odd quirks and elements that Mm -hmm. keeps you still on your toes and keeps you wondering and keeps you guessing who's done what who's committed the crime who's committed other Mm -hmm. crimes and yeah right from the the first 10-15 minutes you've you're just puzzled already. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go with your first point, Jasmine? Yes. Mine works quite nicely into that because mine was, oh, my no. first point was the score. Um, and it was my first instant thought because that, yeah, that first bit of the music when you first come in is so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, yeah, as you were saying, Gary, like that, the power of that music to, yeah, maybe change the whole idea of these very happy dogs generally, um, you know, but that whole, <laughs> and it shifts, it just the whole tone um, of it with the music is amazing, especially because it is still quite a funny film. There's still so much comedy in it, mm-hmm. but then the music is normally what brings you back to the the darker side of it. Yeah. Um, and I love that because it's this beautiful balance. Um, Nathan Johnson did the score, and I just thought it was. Which I think I think he's worked with um before, but it's it was just stunning. And also again the tension, like when especially later on. When you're you're just so afraid, and the, but again, obviously, like any kind of that that thriller aspect, right? Of any kind of that power of music in those moments, it just you feel the whole thing. Like you're just sitting there, being like, "Oh no!" It's just the whole film. I think was just so made by that music. I mean, again, mm-hmm. there's lots of other points which I'm happy. I'm so excited to get to, but I think the music for me was such a strong, strong element. Yeah, the music's done really well because parts of it feels like a homage again to like you know these old detective stories like Poirot yeah. mm-hmm. and, and stuff 
but also a lot of it is quite contemporary with like the yes. car chases, for instance, yeah. and yes. the the scene where Marta is going to meet who she thinks is blackmailing her, who she thinks mm-hmm. is Fran, but when she's going in and Fran's sitting in the chair and it's all dark and music feels mm-hmm. quite contemporary there because it feels like it's a horror film at that point yeah. yeah, as well. So, yeah, it the music does so much because, as we said, like, is this a cop thriller? Is it just a detective story? Is it comedy? And I think the music helps, like, merge all that together. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that scene alone is something like a thriller. Like, you could find the, the way yeah. that's even lit, the way the music comes in, that could be taken, like, out of, like, a David Fincher film. Uh, lovely. Gary, what would your first point be? So we've kind of touched on it a wee bit already, but it is just the structure of this film and how well how well it's created. But what's interesting is, Rebecca, that's your first time watching it and then this is our second time. And it's interesting because you could watch this once, then it's, okay, the person at the end is who done it. So then when you come in the second time, it's a very different ride because you know, so now you're looking out for the clues and the hints mm-hmm. and how this character's acting in this scene and how this character's acting in this scene and you watch it with very different eyes but it's still an enjoyable film yeah. and I think it's because of the structure so it starts off and it feels kind of like a homage to those old detective movies and TV shows but as we said it also feels really original and that could be to do with the humour like when the dogs are bringing back that piece of wood and Marta keeps having to like throw it away because it's obviously <laughs> evidence. Or when Marta's like climbing down the side of the house and she lands on the grass, the grandmother's just standing there. <laughs> the she window. is hilarious. It's so, so, so good. good. So the plot starts off as a, a whodunit. It's this regular detective story. And then it switches from that with uh, Marta's reveal that she killed Harlan. And it becomes more of like an episode of Columbo. Because mm-hmm. in Columbo, we as an audience work out who the killer is at the start. And we're, a, we're about for that ride of just watching Columbo solve it. Work is magic. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whereas an, an audience member, we think we know who done it. And then there's the reveal later on that Marta didn't kill Harlan. And... Then it goes back to that Poirot-type movie and we try and work out who the killer actually is along Mm -hmm. with the investigator. With some of these detective stories, you follow the detective trying to solve the crime and you try and solve it with them. But then parts of this, you think you know who done it because we've been shown Mm -hmm. some of the evidence before the cop. So it's really interesting. And because of this structure, when we think Marta did kill Harlan we actually root for her to get away with it because she yeah. is kind-hearted, because she didn't mean to do it. Um, but then when we realise it's not her, we again want the baddie to be caught. We are rooting for that baddie to go to jail. And I think the other interesting part just on that note is we trust Ransom. Is it Ransom? Is that how I pronounce it? Yeah, Ransom, Ransom, yeah. Ransom, yeah. So, what's him. a lovely choice of name. <laughs> but it's because... That's down to the casting, I think, as well, yes. because he is Captain America, so everything we've seen when he's likeable. So we follow him the same way Marta does, and we believe yeah. every word he says. So although that's not the structure, the reveal with the structure is that he ends up being the killer, um, but we just can't believe that because of how mm. great the casting is on that. Is it is Chris, Chris, Chris Evans? Chris Evans. Like, his kind of role in that of you're like, he can't be evil he can't yeah. be the bad guy like no way um, and they trick you into believing that he's not I think that's also because he is quite humorous through it and yeah. he acts like he doesn't want the money he mm-hmm. also is the outsider in the family so because all of the rest of the family members like have a, a reason to kill their grandfather mm-hmm. um he seems like he doesn't have a reason because he is the outsider. So you think, oh, if he's oh. outsider, he's not like them. He can't have done it. He's got less screen time, so you don't suspect him as much. I also thought that the um, the granny was saying grandson. So oh, <laughs> yeah. not ransom. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. So when we actually like were properly introduced to him, like an hour in, and 
kind of got to know him a bit more and, and realised his name was Ransom, but it sounded like she was saying grandson. I don't know why. Which is still true. No, great-grandson, but still close. <laughs> she also must be, like, that character must be into her hundreds. Because She's younger. She was younger than Christopher Plummer. The, the, the actress. actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah actress. Because he's in his... Is he not celebrating his, his 90th 80, birthday? 85th. 85th. So if that's his mum, she, yeah, she must be into the hundreds. Mm. Yeah. yeah, which she looks at in some ways. They've done a good job. Yes, of that. <laughs> yeah, great makeup. <laughs> like, and yeah. just like I think it's the costuming, mm. the way she kind of like ca- also even like her stance, the way she like carries everything with her as like like her costume looks like a little house that's on her. Like it's quite yeah. it's quite heavy and it's quite weird and everything kind of, she owns. Yeah, it makes her even smaller somehow as well. She's just always about in the background, and then there's wee parts where she sees crimes being committed. So she sees mm. ransom coming down the the side of the wall where she sees Marta do the same thing. And there's the scenes where um, Lonk sits down with her and he's like, I'm sorry if like nobody's asked how you are after losing your son. And, yeah. you know, if there's anything you want to tell me, now you can. But the camera then cuts from that scene. You don't see no. Daniel Craig leaving. So you wonder, did she give information there? But actually, yeah. it's complete. She just doesn't do anything. Like, she doesn't help, really, in the investigation at all. I guess it's, like, knocking you off guard. You know, you think it's going to go down one way, then it goes another. I mean, except for the one line, right? The, you're back again, Ransom. Like, Ransom, like, that that line, and then Marta remembering that's what she said. Did he just work that out, or did she tell him? You know, because... Or does he just say that to um, Ransom to then watch his reaction and then Ransom's like shit yeah she did see me and maybe he's worked that out yeah but rather than her actually giving that information I don't remember so like in Poirot things mm. they just sort of show you rather than going yeah. and then they said this and this is how you got this information yeah, <laughs> you kind of just trust it don't you you just kind of yeah. go well that they're just showing us what happens and but that's the thing I, I, like like what you're saying, Rebecca. So as Daniel Craig is spilling out this information mm-hmm. at the end and it's cutting to what he's saying, is it cutting to a flashback or is it cutting to what's in his head as he's working yeah. it out? And that's never, again, mm-hmm. comes down to, I guess, structure and it's almost like uh, an untrustworthy narrative. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's very clever. And again, like I'm going to go on to my second point and you kind of touched on it, Jasmine. And it is... Um, the use of costume, obviously, with the great grandmother making her look very tiny, very kind of senile. It reminded me a little bit of in the film Titanic, where he draws the picture of the woman mm-hmm. sitting at the bar, and she wears everything she owns. I don't know. It felt mm-hmm. it felt quite like that. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I I see that. Linda as well. The first time we see Jamie Lee Curtis, that stunning. Is it a red suit or a blue like pantsuit she's wearing? Yeah, and you're like, that's an interesting outfit to wear after <laughs> the death of, you know, your father. Mm-hmm. It kinda like gave me a little bit of like hint of, hmm, is she involved? Like why would she choose to wear such striking bold colours? Like even Marta's so Marta's shoes mm-hmm. as well. No one else is wearing trainers apart from her. Yeah, I just thought there was quite a lot of clever use of showing the class of people, how much yeah. money everyone had. Like, even the grandson, is it Jacob? The Nazi one? Yes, the Nazi yeah. one. <laughs> um, even what he's wearing said a lot. And his suit, persona. Right? Like... Yeah. Meg's costume as well, being quite like laid back and casual, kind of said a lot about her. Joni's costume, you're like, yep. I know what kind of person that character she's going to be. Joni is supposedly just a complete piss take of Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, really? So, yeah, so if you think... Interesting. Uh, oh, because of the skincare being, like, goop situation? Yeah, and hers is called, is hers called Flam. Flam, yeah. yeah. That so, makes sense. Flam, yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. You are, you are right. If so much is said through these costumes. So you've mm-hmm. got like you've got Ransom who is dressed in that big white cozy sweater, the cable white. sweater. Yeah. yeah, and he's just yeah. all, he's he's always playing with the sleeves and like a lot of people do that when they wear big jumpers. They like play with. It's the a sleeves. bit like a uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, like yeah. <laughs> but it being a advert or something, yeah. Um, but it being white um, says a lot about how he's a good guy. You know, it makes yeah. you believe he's mm. a good guy and. 
as you said about Linda, Jamie Lee Curtis, like she's always in these bold, striking colours that says a lot about her as a character. You know, she's not going to take shit. She she yeah. is her own person and she's the boss. yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And then like Walt, who's the the publisher and he dresses in quite muted colours. Like he seems to be the the weakest uh, child out of Harlan's yeah. children. Obviously they also give him like the use of a walking stick to bring mm -hmm. that across as well, but he's in like greens and these muted colours. He almost falls into the background with what he's wearing. Um just talking about I guess I don't want to go into it too much, but like you were talking about the the grandson, um the wee boy, what who what's the wee boy called? Jacob. Jacob. He <clears throat> you're saying about him like with the Nazi stuff um and you've got like Don Johnson's character Richard like mm -hmm. who's like when he talks about his politics wow. they never mention him by name yeah. but clearly Trump supporter yeah obviously they're talking about Trump like in that conversation they're obviously talking about Trump but they didn't want to say his name because you don't want to give yeah. more power right but yeah. it's also really clear and because also they say like the kids in cages and stuff like that in that conversation yeah, yeah no absolutely. very topical yeah, you need to you need to earn your way to get into the country. Like when he makes an example yeah. of Marta, doesn't he? he takes, oh, come over here and see. This worst. is what you need to do. You need to be like a Marta. You need to come in and work hard and really earn your keep to be here. And it's yeah. like, that, well, we're going off on a tangent here, but Sorry. it's absolutely no, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, let's let's keep it going because I feel like the film didn't really need this political side. It would have still mm -hmm. been a really good film without these politics. So I guess my question there is. Is this going to age as well in, like, you know, the next 10 years when maybe mm. this isn't so topical, like, where maybe Trump is no longer in the limelight? Will people yeah. sit and watch this scene and go, what, what? That's an yeah. interesting point because, again, we would maybe, if we were watching it with our kids or whatever, go, that's Daniel Craig. He's He was Bond for years and now he's in this film, blah, 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 and... Um, She's taking the mech out of Gwyneth Paltrow because of this, blah, blah. There's quite a lot of in-jokes. Those politics, sadly, will never go hugely out of yeah. fashion. So I think there's always going to be maybe that fascist mm -hmm. battle anyway. So, True. Which is why there's so many Nazi references, because at least that's a reference that everyone gets. So I think, and they, I think, yeah, they say alt-right a lot and things like that. So I think, I guess those as concepts aren't likely to change, sadly. Yeah. But I think that's unlikely to change too much. Maybe the exact examples, but... Even that, kids with cages aren't actually that new, you know, like it's not actually a new concept. It's just that we're talking yeah. about it in a different way. Yeah. But I think there's definitely that kind of political landscape that's always going to probably be there. And if not, can refer mm. back to the famous ones, you yeah, know, true. which they do true. as well. Very true. What would be your second point, Jasmine? Mine is, we talked about it a little bit, but mine is the ensemble or ensemble as I like to call them um <laughs> cast I like it it's um, not fancy <laughs> yeah they I really I mean I think when you when you first look at this film even at the poster you're like wow that's a lot mm. of people that's like the people there's a lot of a lot of good <laughs> yeah and mm -hmm. I mean I still have that same comment that that Gary had which is I do wish they had a bit more time like I especially like Jamie Lee Curtis like, mm -hmm. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm a regular person, you know, so I um, love Jamie Lee Curtis. And I would have loved her to have some more. I also would have loved her to have her final kind of, like, moment when she, like, yeah. finds the hidden message. Like, her arc is still there. Like, you still, like, see, like, the beginning, middle, and end of her story. Like, she still, still mm -hmm. has her little story. But I would have liked to see her maybe the end of that a bit more. Like, I like yeah. when she finds mm -hmm. a hidden message and she talks a lot about, you know, her games with, her dad, but even I mean, her performance is beautiful as always. But I definitely more screen time I would have enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. And Tony Collette is one of mine. When I say that, she's Australian um, and <laughs> as big part of my heart. Um, my mum, when she was young, kind of looks like a young Tony Collette. Like that was her vibe, oh. which is fun. And also, kind of in this film, was kind of her vibe. If you like, imagine like Journey, but more as a like more hippie, like less like a slightly <laughs> further away from Gwyneth Paltrow and more like into the woods, um, then you'd find my mother somewhere in there as well. So I Aww. felt really close to that. Um, mm. And that kind of energy felt really um, – it was great because for me that's like such a Tony Collette role. Like she was so yeah, perfect. Yeah, she was, she was great, wasn't she? Just that kind of trickery as well with that character of you think that she is going to be like one of the people, very down to earth, and then we see her like obviously doing – Putting the, the family and money and things. And yeah. 
But yes, yeah, so I loved seeing Tony Collette in this. Also, because I mean, I think she's a star, and I want her. And it's nice to see her in like big films like this. Obviously, she still is, but it's. I have this weird. I don't normally feel this way, and any kind of national pride generally. But it is nice to see Tony Collette in like these kind of massive things yeah. because I just think she's a star, and I loved that a lot. Um, <laughs> Daniel Craig, aka CSI KFC. And we just wanted- <laughs> yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I love that line so yeah. much. <laughs> Killed me. Um, See, with that line as well, though, again, this is where the film is so clever because you're laughing at Chris Evans in this film so much that he's so yes. likeable and like mm-hmm. you can do with these witty lines. Like that line with the KFC line and the, you eat shit, you eat shit, you eat shit. And you it's definitely so eat shit. Funny. <laughs> um, so you're just laughing with him. And then, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, 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 that was the Chris Evans part too was so that because he's this like smug hunk, right? Like, mm-hmm. except the smug part is this part you have to watch out for um, mm-hmm. because that's the clue is the smugness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he so beautifully cast because it's the first time I think I've ever seen Chris Evans in this kind of role. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Captain America, but even before then, it was just like a ton of rom-coms, right? Like that was yeah. more of his vibe and it was much more, you know, just like A to B characters, whereas mm-hmm. this had... I'm sure he had a lot of fun doing it. Apparently he did. Though um, I watched literally a couple of weeks ago, I actually watched an interview with him talking about the fact that um, they only did like a couple of takes. Like he would actually get really stressed out because they didn't do tons of takes. Um, and that wasn't what he was used to. And he was mm. just like, okay. Um, so <laughs> That may I be guess, added to the character. Yeah, the frustration. <laughs> you have to like just get straight in there, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. So, which makes sense with a lot of, I mean, a lot of these actors are old school pros, so like it's not an issue, yeah. but I think he, it was a very shift for him in the oh, kind yeah. of film that this was. The moment when he realizes that he, his plan hasn't worked, I really love. Like the moment they're sitting at like the, um, and like that moment of acting for him was, was perfect because he's like realized that it's all screwed up and he has to completely pivot to make his yeah. plan still work. And I just thought he did a great job and I really love that. But yeah, circle back to Daniel Craig for a second, <laughs> the accent work. I think <laughs> it was better the second time. I don't know, Rebecca, how do you feel about his accent? Um, I, when he first started speaking, I, I didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was a bit of a culture shock. I was a bit like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? <laughs> When that accent came out, it was very unexpected and it took me quite a while to kind of tune in to like, this isn't a joke. <laughs> Is this the comedy aspect? I'm confused. Um, <laughs> See, it's, the, that's, yeah. that, that's funny because like, I think it is a joke. I would say everyone who is making this film, whether it be cast or crew, are having a great time. The best They're time, just yeah. Having oh, fun. yeah. Having and a blast. Yeah. When I seen it, um, the film was marketed really well and I think it set you up for that accent so in the it trailers did. you got a lot of Daniel Craig in the trailer and yeah. you even got that line from Chris Evans that CSI, KFC or whatever the line yeah, is right, okay. so that was in, so you were like right okay we're allowed to take the piss out of Daniel Craig's accent not that it's a yeah. bad accent I like it but we're allowed to take the piss out of him uh, putting on that accent yeah. and they're going to let us know that by having one of the characters in the trailer take the piss out of it so we oh, know yeah, we're totally. allowed to laugh and and that's i guess um clever marketing on that i totally agree with the the jamie lee curtis the linda character that then she mm. does have her character arc i feel like it doesn't quite pay off yeah. because she talks about how she used to play these games with her dad but we actually never see her try to solve the mystery of what happened to her dad yeah, it's very uh, much know, expected. Accepted, sorry. Uh, like what's true, I, I, it's difficult to. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to see her like look back at those memories of her like solving stuff. Yeah. Like maybe she finds a box and you know she tries to work out the puzzle and it reveals mm-hmm. a clue or something. I guess the downside of that would be you would start to not suspect her as much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think but... because she's actually quite strong in it, she feels it's that kind of closed off kind of person and you're like well what are you hiding but turns out she's just had to work a lot to be where she is but she has that kind of person I guess the only games that we see is the is the light is the lighter and the secret message like that's the only like game yeah I guess quote-unquote game that we see her play with him which is great because obviously that works really well for her story Mm -hmm. yeah Um, I wanted to talk about one other cast member that I forgot was in this film and 
and I am sorry because this is another crossover that I didn't plan on making, but here we are. Uh, Frank Oz is in this film. Yeah. Uh, Frank Oz, famous of uh, Miss Piggy fame, uh, is in this <laughs> film. So <laughs> I, um, and I completely forgot. And now he's someone I talk about and research about and look at it all the time. And then I was like, um, excuse me? Uh, what? Yeah. How's Frank Oz in this film? And has like a really small part, and but is brilliant. And actually, it's the first time he'd been on screen as like himself for like twenty years. Um, wow! He doesn't normally do like you know. That's why he has so many puppets and muppets, and you know, <laughs> Yodas. also Yodas. Yeah, which is how he. <laughs> yeah, which is how the connection happened uh, through yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, he's the he's the lawyer, so, isn't he? That he's the lawyer who comes yeah. in and does the will reading. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that's such a brilliant part, <gasps> isn't it? Because you know exactly what's going to happen. You're like, exactly. everything's getting left to Marta. And they're all sitting like, you know, you see Jamie Lee Curtis and when he opens up the phone, he says, this is going to be very easy because there's only really one name on this. And she's like, yeah, that's because it's all coming to us, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> and then they're like, Marta, 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 Marta. <laughs> this crumbling of everyone, like, no way. He's great in that scene as well because you can tell from his performance and the way he acts that he's had to deal with all these eccentric yeah. characters before so like they're questioning well can't we do this to get around it no not really you need to do x y and z or what if we did this did you just google that yes i just googled that <laughs> yeah um, i love that to the point where i think it's don johnson's character he's like well you're useless you can go and he's like great thanks see you later <laughs> that's a great part of the scene as well when they're like i'm not having this this is our house get out this is our house yes. and then it cuts to the assistant who points and it's like oh yeah and the house goes to martyr as well <laughs> so good <laughs> so good that's a nice segue actually onto my second point which is just the female family in this film mm-hmm. and i just wanted to talk about their their relationship mm. and also their relationship to martyr as well because as i said earlier the characters are extremely unlikable. Yes. Subconsciously, I think they think that this tight-knit family, but they don't even know the age of their own grandmother. There's that scene. It's like, what yeah. age is she? No one knows. <laughs> um, and as soon as uh, Blanc shows up, they stab each other in the back and just so start quickly. Spill- yep, start spilling the beans. But it's funny because... Their downfall is they all think they're like these self-made people and they think everything they've got, they've achieved by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously we find out that actually they wouldn't have got where they are without Christopher Plummer's character's wealth. Um, But they do think they're better than each other. And for instance, like Linda hates how Walt is credited himself as a self-made man when he's just a publisher. But... It's interesting that they think they're self-made, but as soon as they find out they're getting no money, they're quickly pissed off. Yeah, and work together. Yeah, and if they were self-made, they wouldn't care that they're not getting the money because they feel that they've the foundations they've built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then there's the relationship to Marta. As soon as Marta arrives, Meg says to her, anything you need, you're part of this family. And then it's followed by Richard saying... Uh, I think he says to Blanc, oh yeah, she's part of the family. But they don't even know where she's from. One of them no. says it's Ecuador, somebody says it's Paraguay, somebody says it's Uruguay. Yeah. Brazil and I'm sure, well. Yeah, that's Chris yeah. Evans at the end, she's Brazilian. Yeah. Um, they quickly turn on her, obviously, as soon as she gets yeah. all the money, Linda calls her a bitch, and they all quickly turn against each other. Oh, is it Jacob's like she screams at her like you slept with my grandfather, you yeah. anchor or something like that? And yes. it's like, oh my goodness. So like, funny. This little but, child just like what? But here here's an interesting way to to look at it is they've all said that she's part of the family, they don't know where mm-hmm. she's from. When they quickly turn against her because she's getting all the assets, maybe that actually makes her part of the family because now she's one of them Aww. they're all already stabbing each other in the back and actually don't get on with each other and that's interesting they start mm-hmm. to actually go and visit her obviously they want something out of her but they're already yeah. doing it to each other so she mm-hmm. almost becomes part of the family by by them turning against her like they've turned against each other that's yeah. it's interesting because i mean i i think in the beginning of that because they all go oh we really wanted you at the funeral i was outvoted but they all say that which means they definitely didn't want her at the funeral yeah. Like, yeah. so every single one of them says it's i was outvoted so you're like that uh, they didn't have her there that was yeah. one of a strange 
I was like, why? What a she... weird thing to do. It's funny because I'm thinking of it in like um, COVID, COVID terms. times, just now yeah. because you only have <laughs> family I... only. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, just the theme of family it mm. runs runs through it is is a really interesting concept. Definitely. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the way that all works together as well, like with the in-laws as well, like with Journey as well and that kind of as a, as a yeah. concept and how that works differently within how people treat Meg versus how they treat – like all the grandkids are on a very different level, all three of them as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you forget – I kept forgetting that Walt's wife existed. Yes. Um, yes. I know her – I've been watching The Big Bang Theory and I know her from an episode in The Big Bang. So when she showed up, I was like, oh, it's blah, blah, blah from The Big Bang. Mm. And then – she doesn't really do much through it. No. And I started going, okay, why is she here again? Who is she related to? And it wasn't until there was a scene, I think it was actually the will reading. Yeah, they're all together as a family. They're all kind of the family units, yeah. Mm-hmm. He holds a hand and I was like, right, that's what it is. They also don't seem to match as a It's very a much like, very you odd. need to be here with me today for this will. And she's like, oh, right, okay, fine. But she also, the only other time she talks, she seems to be like very proper as well and like very, because I think she mm-hmm. talks in the political chat a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's also still quite right wing, which is probably how they raised an alt right child, you know. Like, so that kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. she seems very like maybe proper, quote unquote. She's from yeah. Gilmore Girls. That's how I know her face. I was like, why do mm. I? Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> intre- that's interesting. You say that as well because, like, the characters. A lot of the characters seem like perhaps Trump supporters, as we've said, mm. even though it's n- never said. But then Christopher Plummer's character, his best friend, is. A, an immigrant so yeah. he's clearly not raised them to be like that it's through probably society and wealth that they've became yes mm. exactly money yeah also um chris evans's house in the film when, oh my goodness oh, i want that yeah it's gorgeous <laughs> yeah. isn't it Stunning. also that's a good contrast though like his like really modern contemporary mm. but still large uh manner i guess mm. compared to this old gothic one it gives him this contrast again it's very bright, like yes. it's yeah. like mostly windows. So it's like very opposite. Nowhere it's like to hide. Dark. Ooh, I like that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, the opposite of this like dark gothic, mainly just, you know, bricks and mm. turrets. Um, yeah. Very, very different vibe. Lovely. Well, I'm going to move on to my third point. And we've kind of touched on it already, but I guess it is just, um, well, I've got a couple of things, but. I'll, I'll say that later. We've already kind of said it. Anyway, um, my third point would be the comedy in the film. So, like, the use of language. You eat shit. You eat shit. Um, the the cup at the end where she mm. stands on the veranda, like, yeah. looking at everyone, and it's, like, my house, my rules. I thought that was just a, such a clever touch, like, that excellent use of propage um, that, that works really well because it's the same cup that you see at the start for Christopher yeah. Palmer so it like the cup alone goes like full it's circle so yeah. and um, it's not subtle is it like the film's not subtle no, if it's like points no. it's like in your face <laughs> yeah here are all of the details the prop knife at the end yeah. like you know like you know it's going to be a prop knife because again like Christopher Plummer is talking about is this knife real? Is this a prop? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. So at the end, the you're like, yeah. it's going to be a prop knife. Like, she's going to yeah. be fine. You know it is. But it's it's his reaction, isn't it? It's so like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it as well? Um, Blanc, when he's sitting in the car and the ambulances and everything are driving by, he's like, got his, like, tunes on and stuff. Yes. I think that scene as well, Rebecca, you're talking about with the knife. What makes that so funny with the prop knife is they, like, shift into slow motion and yeah that's what I mean. toward, <laughs> they make it then, look really dramatic so dramatic uh, but then when he stabs and it doesn't work what what works is he kind of tries again a few times i know just he looks at it as if why is that not working <laughs> when she's sick on him as well like that projectile oh. vomit um yeah there's just quite a lot of things that i just i'm like it's so simple and of course like it's not going to be a big dramatic thing just to talk about the the sick idea as well that's like something that's really interesting that you probably would never find in something like Poirot or Columbo no. it's, <laughs> um, it's such a contemporary thing to it's like quite grotesque. bring to it yeah. Yeah. but it's almost like you know you get Chekhov's gun it's almost like yes. Chekhov's sick like how is this going to be yeah. obviously there's traits of it yeah. it's like how is this going to pay off and it's obviously because she does lie and holds it in and it's basically her holding in the sick that catches Chris Evans out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chekhov's yeah. sick. Brilliant. Genius. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> gross, but yes. It's interesting because Daniel Craig isn't actually a cop. Um, the cops... Yeah, are, I know. There are cops, like, but he's not one of them. Yeah, there's Lieutenant Elliot and... Who's the other one again? The other one's the funny one, right? Well, that's yeah. the one that's like There's loving the... like all the drama and it's like, yeah, oh, I know who Walt is. I've read all your books. It's tri- <laughs> Trooper Wagner. Yeah, Trooper Wagner, and he's there just as a comedy element as well. Like as you said, he's so excited because he feels like he's part of this this novel, Family. one of like yeah, or one of these crime storylines. So he's like really excited, and then I think there's a line at the end. Um, Daniel Craig says like. Um, I, th- I know who killed him and then he yes. shouts Trooper Wagner and she's like really? and he's like no I just want him to come into the room <laughs> <laughs> yes I love that too because you're like what? Trooper Wagner? You're like, that's no, no, no. so funny what would your uh, third my, point be? yeah my me? last one is I mean it, you spoke about bits of it then my last one is kind of the production design um, which I think it, just the extra layers of all of it there mm. and kind of moments of putting those kind of Easter eggs in the first place, like when he's first got that knife and then he also has the same knife that he kills himself with. Harlan is also the one that's in his portrait, which is yeah. also the one he played, like then he's playing with when he speaks about Chris Evans, like he can't tell the difference between a stage prop and a real knife, which he says on like the first bit. And you're like, that's genius. Mm-hmm. They even in his study, like named all of his like books. Cause he's meant to have like been this like amazing author. So I always like, his like his fake books are all on the shelves and there's like all these like themes that are on the desk that are all about those books mm-hmm. like that they've like really tied in and I love looking at like a busy room and knowing that like everything in that busy room had a purpose yeah I love that I love like seeing all those bits and looking and like even like when he's sitting at his desk and he's like confronting um everyone like you know when you get all the flashbacks and he's like confronting all of the children basically mm-hmm. um throughout the day before his party and he's got these like, massive eyes behind him it's like huge, mm-hmm. ridiculous, like googly, googly kind of yeah. eyes behind him, which is kind of like, I don't know. There's a lot. Is of- that a nod to like Great Gatsby? Do you think the idea that the big eyes watch over everything? Yes, yeah, the mm. see all thing, right? Yeah, beautiful symbolism through it. I thought, and then even like the trick window, the trick window actually being a portrait of a boy climbing through a window, and like that whole yeah. thing coming out, like that. All of that is just so well done and so mm-hmm. thought through, and. I don't know, I just, like, that for me was, like, the next level of it. It yeah. was David Crank who did that and, like, obviously worked really well, really closely with Ryan Johnson, but just all through that and all those little um, skeletons through all, like, the portraits and all the paintings and things like that throughout the house as well. And, the, and the, even, like, in his office there's, like, all these skeletons. And then even that the actual, like, the knife kind of thrown as well, for want of a better Something word. like Game of Thrones, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, which apparently... <laughs> "Quote unquote," not inspired, but allegedly. Okay. Um, but but has this kind of you know this kind of hole in the middle, which only at the very end does someone sit in the middle of, and that all the interviews someone's always on the they're always sitting on the side of it. Yeah. And it wasn't until the very end where Daniel Craig sits in it, and then Marta sits in it, and when their their heads kind of centered in the actual space, and like mm. that kind of stuff, visually just tells so much and does so much um i guess with having marta right at the end sitting in the center it's like this is her house this is her throne well mm-hmm. maybe we yes. shouldn't use throne because it's not the game of thrones <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's now yeah it, it, she owns it basically yes it is definitely mm-hmm. that and also kind of the daniel craig was part of solving it for sure so he mm-hmm. sits there for a second but it is definitely hers just gave this extra layers that i loved and i think I always love looking at those kind of things anyway because you're like, oh, what's that for? What's that for? Yeah. I'm going to put some symbolism on that, you know? Like, <laughs> I'll add the symbolism later. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I just thought it was, yeah, the beautiful attention to detail and kind of works with your costume stuff as well. Like, that's yeah. the whole thing. But, I don't know. They just had such a good eye for this film. Yeah. The knives in general. And obviously that's a big part. Of it. But the portrait's fun because the portrait changes. I thought that was cool because, like, he's kind of, like, really stern in the beginning. And then in the end he's kind of, like, has this little smug yeah. little smile at the end, um, mm. which is fun. Ghost portrait. Also, the portrait supposedly wasn't finished when they were shooting. Yes. So it's actually CGI'd. And I don't know if that's maybe... Oh, wow. I wonder if because they knew it wasn't finished that they decided to slightly change like the facial expressions. So like maybe on the not on the day, but then well we can do something with this. We can use this to our advantage. Um okay, I'll jump on to my last point, which is basically just how well this film is edited. 
Mm. This film could have been confusing with so many characters and so many plot twists. But at the start, there's a lot of use of voiceover along with flashbacks as Mm -hmm. each character describes their version of events. And that keeps us as an audience on the right track. And then once Blanc and us as an audience are all caught up with the storyline and their version of events, the story then moves forward and it keeps moving forward and we keep unraveling this mystery until the very end when Blanc reveals what actually happened and then we get the final flashbacks, the wrap-up flashbacks, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So I think you don't realise how many flashbacks there actually is at the start because it's like, okay, um, we've got Blanc and the cops interviewing and then it's flashing back to the party, but then it's then moving forward slightly to them mm-hmm. after being interviewed, and then you know that it's moving back again, and then we are actually learning so much about the incident that occurred, what each character's like, their history with the the victim, but also just them as emotional people, and then once we're like right, okay, I understand, you know these eight or how many characters it is. We understand them. We understand their motivations. We understand the reasons that they could have done it. Okay, let's now start moving the story forward. And then we go on that journey with Blanc solving those crimes. And then, as I said, it's the the wrap-up flashback. But we're okay with that because we've had so many at the start. We are, we're willing to have more flashbacks Yeah, we've adjusted. Yeah. As well as all of this, the edit is extremely stylized and it's extremely yeah. fast. And especially if the flashbacks at the start, it's like, okay, we're here, now we're here, okay, now we're in this time zone, okay, now we're, we're moving forward. But that's kind of how um, Blanc's brain works. Yeah. So I think it's extremely stylized in relation to him as a character. So he's taking in all this information and we're getting all these quick flashes and now he's built up this report in his head. Mm-hmm. He's then really slow and calm as he moves forward. So then we get this mm-hmm. calmness as we watch each scene unfold, and then his brain at the end is like going at the speed of light again. So then we're getting all these quick flashbacks. So I think it is. It's just it's just a wonderful edit, and a lot of people won't take into consideration how well a film's edited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But this is is a work of art in itself. Editing is one of those things that you only really notice it if it's done badly. Um, yeah. it's, like that's when most people notice it. They go, "Oh, what was? Why did that feel that way?" Um, whereas something when it's per- like so well edited, it's the seamlessness of that, um, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, its triumph. Perfect. Well, does anyone have any other notes or anything else that they didn't like or development opportunities? Is how I, I like to think. <laughs> I like positive. That. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I struggled with was the vomiting. Um, just because it's, I, it makes me go, ugh. Um, okay. That's the same thing I feel with Pitch Perfect. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, why? Why is it? Why? But why? And you're right, it is the Chekhov vomit. And I guess for that reason, yes. Like, I understand. It's not that it's it's not without purpose. Um, it's just an interesting still, choice, isn't it? Yeah. I still don't. And, and fair, it works with the comedy as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people find that funny. I find it gross and it makes me upset. But that is the only thing out of this film that I was like, ugh, why? I loved um, the sick. I thought it was hilarious. But... I'm glad you did. You know? It was for you then, Gary. That's yeah, right. Exactly. It actually reminded when she's got, especially when she's got the pot, um, yeah. it reminded me of in Harry Potter when Ron can't stop. With the slugs? Yeah, with the, the slugs. slugs. That's what yeah. it reminded me of. Um, oh, and the part baby. where she is sick in the cup in the car, and Daniel Craig's getting in the car. I'm like, oh no, where is this going? Is he going to lift this cup at some? Or try to sip it? Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's where I, I thought it was going I to go. I couldn't handle that. Um, I mean, I've only got two notes, and I've actually nothing negative mm. at all, which is is great. Um, <laughs> one note is Knives Out sequels have been bought by Netflix for yes. four hundred and fifty million pound. Holy moly! Wow! And I think they are only really going to follow Daniel Craig's character, and it'll be like. You know, the same way Poirot is a different okay. uh, thing, yeah. And one we note that I had was at one point Blanc calls Marta Watson, which I just thought was a nice wee I love homage yes. yeah, to Sherlock I love Holmes. That. Yeah. Yes. I also really liked Harlan. 
so Christopher Plummer's character. Yeah. I just thought he was brilliant. I just yeah. and watching it, I was quite sad actually because obviously he has passed away recently. Um, but I just thought his performance was just really good, and the character was just really great. Like he was such a lovely man, and just yeah. really knew that his family were just rotten, like yeah. awful. Yeah, I just really liked his connection with Marta, and she had time for him. It's tragic as well because he actually didn't have to commit suicide. He didn't have to die. I know. Yeah, and that's that's interesting as well that technically no one murdered him and he also didn't have to die. So it's a really unique no. twist. Uh, wonderful. Well, now that we've shared all of our points, has anyone's ratings changed at all? I think I'm still happy with my nine oinky knives. Mm-hmm. I will go up <laughs> to a 9.5. Ooh, yeah. all right. This is like the first time this ever happened. That's amazing. I do really wow. enjoy it. Like I could go home and watch right. it again right now. Oh, so. yeah. It's one of those films that I hardly actually took any notes on because I just loved watching it. Yeah. Maybe that's part of like a first-time watch as well, but I just really liked the journey and the ride that I was on when I was watching it. And um, I'm still very happy to stick with my 9.2. But, I mean, all three scores are very good. It's a very mm-hmm. high-scoring film. Very high-scoring. Well deserved. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Perfect. Well, we're going. We're now going to take a little break, and when we're back, we'll be taking a little quiz. <gasps> I know, um, sharing our fun fact of the day, and also our short film recommendations. We would just discuss some possible motives in the family. I suspect that Harlan has told you much unfiltered truth about each of them. And a little bird has told me, how shall I put this delicately? You have a regurgitative reaction to mistruthing. Who told you that? Is it true? Uh, yes. Oh. It's something I've had since I was a kid. It's a physical thing that I, just the thought of lying, yeah, it, it makes, makes me puke. Really? Is Richard having an affair? An affair? Yeah. A yes or no will do. Mm, no. <laughs> oh, shit! Oh, my oh, dear oh, my girl, God. I'm sorry. I assumed oh, you were speaking so figuratively. I- and we are back for our quick fire quiz round. So Gary and I will ask the lovely Jasmine here five questions each based on the film. So and it's just for fun. So how much morphine does Marta think she has given to Harlan? 100 milligrams. Correct. Who plays Harlan from Christopher Palmer. Yes. When did Harlan tell Marta to turn at the elephant? Um, after the elephant. Correct. Who has the line, that was the dumbest car chase of all time? <laughs> I want to say Blanc? No, it was Lieutenant Elliot. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Actually, no, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right, guys. I guess you're right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what did Jacob overhear? I'm warning you, he's one of them. And something about the will. Perfect. Okay. What detective show is Marta's mum watching on TV when Marta comes home? Murder, she wrote. Yes. Dun, 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 Spanish, dun, dun, dun. which is fun. <laughs> um, lovely. How much money was Joni asking for for Meg's tuition fees? Took, took 200000 right? But only needed 100000 Exactly. What was the working title of Knives Out? Oh, I have no idea. Knives in. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It was Morning Bell. Oh, I don't like it. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How does Linda find out that Richard has been cheating? Um, Through the secret note that was activated by Heat. I'm such a very, like, 
yeah. concise answer. <laughs> yes, I just I put you as the latest to read the letter, but your answer is way better. <laughs> um, and my last question is, what rating does Nice Out have? I think it must only be an M, right? An M15, because they don't... Okay, let me rephrase the question. What okay. rating does Nice Out have in UK cinemas? <laughs> cool, 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 cool. I forget what yours are. Um... Uh, 15? It was a 12, 12, 8. 12. I'm not good at your ratings, and I'm going to use foreign as my uh, reason for that. I'm actually foreign, Gary. Very yeah, rude of you. I would that. Um, that was 7 out of 10. That's pretty good. That's right. pretty good. Yeah. I'll, I'll take, take it. Mm-hmm. Don't mind it. Well, now we're going to share our fun facts of the day. Yes. Um, I'll go first. Apparently, your nostrils work one at a time. Huh. Hmm. Which is good if you've got a blocked nose, I guess. Yes. Like one of them, because you're like, at least I can still breathe. Mm. I feel like I've permanently got a blocked nose, so I think maybe only (laughs) one of my nostrils is ever actually working. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's also hay fever season, so. Certainly is. My goodness. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's fun, but it's interesting. It's definitely a fact. It is a fact. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a fact. I've got one, and it is very location-based of my homeland, so I thought you'd enjoy it. Um, There are three times more sheep than people in Australia. 24 million people, 74 million sheep. Is that fun? That is interesting. (laughs) That is fun. Yeah, sheep are fun. Yeah. So many of them. Wow, that is a lot of sheep. Um, so mine's actually also an Australian fact, just oh, by you. sheer chance. This is where I didn't I'm get going... the memo. <laughs> this is where I'm going to read this out, and you're going to tell me that actually that's not a fact; it's wrong. I'm it's ready. False. Oh <laughs> yeah, ready for that buzzer, Jasmine. Okay. Yeah. So supposedly, there was once a genuine war between humans and emus, known as the Great Emu War, that took place no in 1932 in Australia. Yeah, am I right? Yeah. Great Emu War is a big time. And supposedly humanity actually lost the fight. Yeah, the emus won. Yeah, 20,000 emus stormed the region as part of their breeding season and they stole crops and caused pandemonium. And Mm -hmm. the Australian Minister of Defence gave the people access to machine guns and plenty of ammunition. You're joking. No. Did I get that right? Was that all? That's all correct. All factually correct. No way. Um, Someone make that a film, please. I'll, I'll watch there's that. There's actually there's a few podcasts that have done stories on it. There's a, um, a few like history podcasts, like the Dollop, um, and like do go on do like history podcasts, and they've done like in depth deep dives. Who want to know more about that? They've both got really good stories of the what? Emu War or the what Great Emu Molly? War. Why don't you send us a link to one of those podcasts? I will. And yeah, I'll yeah. put it in the show notes then as yeah. well. Yeah, because you can learn all from... about it. It is a yeah. wild ride, um, <laughs> but a very true fun fact. And that's why we all speak emu. <laughs> exactly. As we should. It's a very pecking language, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> very good, Gary. Love that. Mm, that's interesting. Lovely. Well, now we're all going to recommend a short film that we've watched recently, and that's available online. Mm, and this is from a previous Choose Film guest that was Aww. on recently. Um, and it is Toxic by Joe O'Neill. Um, I've watched it a couple of times and I just think it's just really clever. So it explores toxic masculinity, Ooh. which is a big topic of conversation at the moment, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, but there's also quite a lot of dark comedy in it, exploring a serious matter, which I thought was quite um apt when it came to this film as well um and just really hits the nail on the head when you watch it um but yeah really good watch and you can find that on youtube wonderful nice, nice. yep i'm going to now have to find another short film for, <laughs> for the you next can see episode. that one too oh no, no 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 it's fine it's fine my short film is an animation and you have to go watch this it made me cry Honestly, it's so good though. It's called Save Ralph. Uh, There's actually a hashtag trending called Save Ralph just now. And it's a short animation uh, about animal testing. And it's a documentary that follows Ralph the rabbit on his day-to-day life as an animal tested rabbit. It is voiced... The the rabbit is voiced by 
uh, Taika Waititi. And there's also so many other famous celebrities. So, like, uh, Ricky Gervais plays the the filmmaker, like, director mm-hmm. in it as well. It's just his voice. But it's... Obviously, it's just his voice. But uh, it's an animation. <laughs> but you don't see the, you don't see the character. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Um, but honestly, three minutes long, it says so much. And okay. even though it's emotional and it's got, obviously, a really big message... Yeah. It's actually quite funny because obviously it's Taika Waititi as well. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's not all nice. gloom. So yeah, check it out. Perfect. What's your recommendation, Jasmine? Um, mine is one that I've known about for a while but only got around to watching really recently, um, which is a short film called Troll Bridge um, by Daniel Knight. And it is a Terry Pratchett story. Oh. Um, and it's probably the only Terry Pratchett adaptation that I like. So, which anyone mm. who knows me and my nerddom knows that's a huge compliment. Um, but 20 Minutes has really good animation in it as well. Um, it's actually Australian, um, which I didn't know too much later. I was like, oh, turns out all these voices are Australian. That makes sense. Um, and, <laughs> but it's just a really lovely, and it's on YouTube as well. Mm. And I, yeah, it's one of those ones that I've been meaning to watch for such a long time. And then because I need to find a new thing for this, I was like, oh, I'll watch that finally it's beautiful and really like yeah has the whole feeling of I think of what Terry Patchett was looking for with his stories and is just beautifully done and as like I think it was crowdfunded and things like that but they've done a really good job of like because it's kind of only part animated okay it's like a cat there's like a troll character who's who's animated hence troll bridge um and and it kind of follows like Colin the Barbarian and he's like kind of like doing his last bit of um you know, he wants to, like, achieve this last thing. And famously in Conan the Barbarian, all the Discworld Terry Pratchett books, he's, like, really old. He's, like, an mm. old, old barbarian. So it's very – it's just really funny. The talking horse. You'll love it. Cool. Sounds good, yeah. That sounds nice. Um, lovely. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us. It's been so lovely having you, and it's been great chatting about Knives Out. It's going to be one of my favourites, I think. Thanks so much for having me. No, no, it was a pleasure. It was lovely. Learning all about the yeah. emus and <laughs> the um, Miss Piggy. Yes, I mean, a lot of that. Um, can you let all of our listeners know where they can find you on social media and keep up yeah. to date with all of your projects and your work? Perfect. So Instagram's the best spot. Um, for me personally, it's just Jazz Jazz. Um, and for the podcast, it's Letters to Miss Piggy. Um, and so, yeah, lots come up there. They come out fortnightly. Perfect. Well, I'm Rebecca Riddle and you can follow me on Instagram at RiddleRebecca and on Twitter at RiddleR. And I'm still, still Gary and you can still follow me at Pro on Instagram and Twitter. Can they still follow you on those? Still Gary? (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably losing followers with the Still Gary. (laughs) I know. It's not quite like Just Jazz, is it? No. Perfect. Well, if you have enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, share, tell everybody, your granny, your grandpa. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also send us your comments on the films at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. You can also follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us next week for our discussion on the film Miami Vice. Thanks. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore.